0: Alright, we are rolling now. Counting us down. Three. Two.
1: You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And today we're joined by a good friend of the show, Greg
1: Goodness. Hello. Heyo everybody, how's it going? I am super excited to be here and talk about some weird drug filled novels or uh, what was originally a series of magazine articles. Yeah,
0: um, this is today. We're talking about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, uh, a mix between the book and the movie. Um, I've seen the movie. Uh, Lex has done both, and Greg has done both. Uh, so I'm the n- newbiest here. Um, Speaking of being newbies, if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, books, spoken word, things that have built us up as people. And we hope in sharing that it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective.
2: I'll be honest, that segue was so smooth. I found it startling.
0: startling. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh. I mean that's the opposite of what smooth transitions is supposed to do.
2: I w- but it was so smooth that yeah. it was it was so far beyond my comprehension that it genuinely generated a fear response.
0: Oh, I get it. I mean sometimes it's hard to dis- delineate between what's real and what's not in the same way that the- <laughs> this I was, be- I was book f- does. Feeling
2: the rising fear oh, and yeah. shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um so Greg, can you pitch this to us? What's the what's the big appeal of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas?
1: Yeah, so Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, at least the appeal for me, I honestly, and this is perhaps terrible, I honestly cannot remember if I saw the movie before I read the book. Uh, I don't think I did, but I was always told that the book was highly influential, that it was uh a real scathing takedown of america and that came into my life at a point when that was very appealing to me i was you know like the angry rebellious teenager right i'm like yeah i should read hunter thompson (laughs) i could because i'm gonna need to fight the man someday That was pretty much the same
2: experience i had with it as well i found i found the movie in in high school, and then pivoted to the book. I learned more about Thompson the Man and went, This dude seems like he's genuinely out of his mind. Yeah. I must read every word of his rantings.
1: Yeah. And ironically enough, like, it also holds a weird place in my heart because it does remind me of my mom for weird reasons. Like, my mom got me the book. Like, I asked for it for Christmas or my birthday or something. And my mom was like, oh, yeah. And my mom knew what this was. But she was like, yeah, you want to read Hunter Thompson? You want to read about this dude doing a bunch of mescaline in the desert? And, like, (laughs) running around and stiffing hotel bills and, like, infiltrating drug DA conventions? Like, yeah, go for it. This is under the tree.
0: (laughs) Maybe she was like, this book is gonna definitely like scare him off of drugs. <laughs> He's gonna read this and be like, "Never that, or, or <laughs> not, not <a laughs> part of my life." Or
2: maybe she was like, "He'll read this, and then I won't have to explain my suitcase full of mescaline." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, my mom, like, was a hippie back in the day. So I think that on some level, she's like, okay, like, he has a healthy curiosity about, like, what this time period was all about and what this subculture is all about. Like, I might as well, like, at least he's reading. (laughs) Right. I might as well, uh, you know, make sure that he gets those Pizza Hut reading program points (laughs) for reading about all of these uh, wild exploits.
0: Um, so you had mentioned that it started as a a series of articles in, in Time Magazine, right? Uh, Rolling, Stone, Rolling Stone, I think, yes. was the original publisher. And then eventually they kind of sewed them together into a from his original manuscript, and it became the book that we all know.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. Um, and then that book eventually became two separate movies, or a movie that was loosely based on it, and then a, this movie, which is specifically based on it, um, that is directed by Terry Gilliam, um, Mm. and, and it's starring Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro.
2: And a whole bunch of other recognizable faces. This thing is also a big parade of cameos, from Tobey Maguire to Cameron Diaz to Christopher Maloney, who I'd completely, I'd seen this movie many times, completely forgot Christopher Maloney was in this thing.
0: Oh yeah,
2: but he, then uh, yeah, he was the, the bellhop guy, right? But the the other movie that you're referencing is uh, where the Buffalo Roam, which is very much worth checking out, because you got Bill Murray playing the Hunter Thompson analog, and you got Peter Boyle playing the Doctor Gonzo character. It's really it's uh, it's something to behold.
1: Yeah, but it's weird because that never garnered as much fame no. as the actual Fear and Loathing uh, Johnny Depp movie. Yes, uh, for better or worse, I mean. It eventually became such a career-defining movie for so many people. Like I think Terry Gilliam, that's probably his most famous and like commercially successful movie. Uh, and Johnny Depp, like, is. For again, for better or worse, uh, forever tied <laughs> to the character of Hunter Thompson. Yes.
2: Um, and you you talk about it being so successful. And it's interesting to track the movie's progression to read up on what its actual like box office legacy was. Because when it first came out, most people were like, the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Like most both people who are writing about the movie and also people who are choosing whether or not to go spend their money on it. And in the time since it's you're absolutely right. It is one of those movies that is so it's ubiquitous, and it, like you know, uh, Tari, you and I were talking about how you hadn't seen the movie before, mm-hmm. but you were still very aware of a lot of direct references because of the way it's permeated pop culture since it came right. out.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of those things that you can definitely get through cultural osmosis, <laughs> where it's been parodied enough, and gosh, I mean, like, granted, Depp's impersonation of Hunter Thompson, like, if you see him in interviews, it is. Spot on. It's Say what and, you will about yeah. Johnny Depp, but for that time. Well, and,
2: and the two of them became friends as well and spent a whole bunch of time together.
1: Yeah, so it really became the sort of thing where the movie it permeated pop culture, and I feel like the caricature of Hunter Thompson permeated pop culture as a result. And one of my big pet peeves and why I specifically said this is about the book yes. uh, as opposed to the movie is love the movie. Mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, I think <laughs> it largely misses all the most important parts of the book or at least the tone of what, why it was important to me and why it has stuck with me for all of these years.
2: Okay, so I guess before we hit those very specifically because I'm very curious, yeah. uh, c- could you loosely try to explain what the book is about
1: yeah so the way that the book is framed is that hunter thompson was originally sent out to cover a motorcycle race in las vegas called the mint 400 but the way that he phrases it they had sent him out to the desert and said oh we'll cover this story But they never said what the story was. They just sent him to this race. And, like, a reasonable person would (laughs) take that to mean, go cover this race. Like, look at all the fast men on their fast bikes Mm -hmm. doing their wheelies and what have you. But Hunter Thompson said, well, since there's no story, I need to find one. And I need to decide what it is. I'm going to search for the American dream in Las Vegas. (laughs) What that morphed into is him taking a whole bunch of drugs with his lawyer and proceeding to basically burn Las Vegas as a city in every conceivable way, like lying, cheating, stealing, and... Uh, just being a general real card throughout the city, uh, burning the locals and uh, the help and tourists and everyone in between uh, as he just consumes more and more drugs and does nothing to cover the actual uh, motorcycle race. Right. Uh, Eventually, it, it sort of spins out where... I forgot about all these sort of weird plot intricacies into the book, but like he gets called back out to cover another event, which he also doesn't really cover. He gets uh, asked to attend this drug DA convention in uh, Las Vegas, where she quote unquote infiltrates with his lawyer. Um, but really it's, it's a meditation on what it means to be an American and what america is at that very specific point in time
2: and that was part of hunter thompson's whole deal like that's what he would do pretty consistently no matter what topic he was assigned um i don't in the edition of the book that i have i believe it's in that one there's a a backup piece like once you get through fear and loathing proper there's another piece he wrote in a similar vein, fewer drugs. Called the Kentucky Derby is decadent and depraved. Yeah, and it is. It is exactly. It's the same idea. He was sent to cover one event, and the whole thing morphs into this scathing indictment of the state of America and what it means to be American and what it what it should mean, could mean, and how ugly and depressing it all is.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, you can trace that throughout his career. That's the whole aesthetic of uh, what came to be known as gonzo journalism, which is, as a lot of literary critics will say, never fully replicated, Yeah, was Uh, his specific take of going out to cover something and then... Finding his own way uh, right. through and, that,
2: and with no pretense to journalistic objectivity whatsoever, oh, no. it just becomes this completely first-person, very uh, point of view piece. And then uh,
0: he loads himself up with any manner of substance. And at what point does he fall in love with a chicken? It's the wrong Gonzo, not the right okay. Gonzo. All right, <laughs> okay. I, get I, see, you.
2: I see what you're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it took I, us a second to consider. I got it. No,
2: I saw.
1: No, because I'm... (laughs) Honestly, that was a very real possibility. Like, I can see that (laughs) lost somewhere in the book. I'm right. I was like, did he ever get sexually attracted to a chicken at some point because he was on so many drugs? No, he had... He waded through lizards in a lounge because he was on acid, but... Was it ever a chicken? No. So it, uh, forgive me. It took a second. Okay.
2: But no. it, right, it is not inconceivable. And you talk about uh, how the caricature of Hunter Thompson has become so known and so ubiquitous in pop culture. But you, he's not a, a guy that needs a caricature. He's his own caricature. Like everything you'd think the most cartoony out there version of this guy would be, he was very much that guy. There's a... On the on the Criterion release of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the movie, there is a commentary track that he does, uh, and it's him, and he's got I think a, an assistant that's there with him. But he'll be talking about the movie, and then all of a sudden there'll be a, a moment of silence, and then you'll just hear ee or some shit like that, like dude's just making bat sounds on the commentary track arbitrarily. <laughs> like that's who the dude was, and it was all it. I never for a second thought. This is not completely who this dude is. Like, it didn't feel like he was putting anything on. He was just that guy.
0: Yeah. Uh, So I feel like this is a good time to drop down that spoiler wall. Just so, because I feel like we're going to start getting into some details. And if you're a purist and you're like, I don't want to know anything about this movie or book. I want to go in and fresh and clean i only want to know that hunter s thompson's in it which i think you're going to be disappointed because he's kind of in it he's got a little cameo he's got a cameo but uh yes so uh while i give you time to get out if you haven't experienced it or you want to experience it fresh make sure to go on to iTunes and uh, hit that subscribe button to get this in your feed every Tuesday. Um, You know, and we're also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Store if you are looking for other places to get your content. Also, if you have a chance, go check out
1: Greg's other podcast, Ships in the Night. Yeah, Ships in the Night. Uh, Me and my co-host Zach Wilson, we take fictional characters and try to imagine what it would be like if they bumped Uglies. So it gets real weird, real fast. Uh, Not safe for work. Oh, for the love of God, not safe for work. Uh, (laughs) But if you're feeling adventurous, then yeah, check it out. we paired Godzilla with Cthulhu and everything in between. So,
0: ooh, I bet Cthulhu's the top.
2: Um. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we've had we had Zach in here not too long ago. He talked about Clone High with us, and then we've both uh, been on chips in the Night, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, go yeah. uh, so right, right. check
0: that out. Please do. Tari sure said the...
2: it. Now I've said it. So it's it's reinforced. And like now, if you don't, like, we we encouraged you twice, and we're not going to be <laughs>
0: as polite the third time. That's true. <laughs> You don't want to see him when he, when he gets his knife and, and LSD. Oh, boy, he's just going to carve a Z in your forehead. The Z is for Z, so watch that thing. <laughs> um, all right, so the spoiler wall is officially down now. We've given you as much time as we can, and it's time to jump into this banals. Um, so you were saying that what? the what's wrong with you? <laughs> That's how you say the word. All don't right, don't all make right, fun of my speech. Just take it, take it. <laughs> um so you were saying that you feel like the movie really missed out on what the book was representing and the core message of what Hunter was trying to get across. So what do you feel that is?
1: Yeah, and it's ironic because it's the same trap that we just sort of fell into. (laughs) Uh, But whenever you talk about fear and loathing in Las Vegas and Hunter Thompson, immediately what comes up is, yeah, the character of like, this guy did so many drugs, you know? Uh, And that is certainly a huge component of uh, what the book is about. Like certainly if you're counting the sheer percentage points of what is talking about drugs versus other things like the book is very much about drugs uh and consuming (laughs) way too much of it i feel like the movie really focused in on that like every once in a while you have these sort of breaks where you know he's talking about uh the wave of the 60s and how he can look out over las vegas and uh you know see where it all went wrong sort of thing um Mm. i'm butchering that beautiful speech that he wrote (laughs) but i feel like the book is a much more and and why it connected with me is it's really more about uh, less about this sort of uh, decadence uh, and uh, excess and more about examining what place that decadence has in American culture. Um, specifically, you know, this was coming at the uh, 1970s, like the beginning of the 1970s. And you can tell throughout the book, Hunter Thompson is making references to this bygone era of the 1960s and how the world is transitioning out of what, a lot of people thought was going to be this really radical movement of uh, free love and you know social liberalism and uh, sort of this utopian ideal of people getting together and you know breaking up the police state that sort of thing mm-hmm. and then As the 1970s roll around, you see, oh, we're going backwards. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this sort of counter resurgence to the counterculture where now there's this far right movement uh, gaining steam. And all of this, you know, quote, unquote, progress that you thought you've made is now being rolled back. Mm. We're very good
2: as a people at taking a look at a situation going, we're so close to things getting good. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm running in the other direction as fast as possible.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, like, the book is, it says, it's a search for the American dream. And I feel like that really gets lost in the movie. Um, What the book, at least to me, means is, you know, it's it's constantly making references to Horatio Alger and this idea of with a little bit of luck and plucky determination and hard work, like, you too can have the American dream. And again, this is purely me. (laughs) But when I read the book, Hunter's counter argument to that seems to be no the american dream is what you find in las vegas it is this gross like <laughs> sheer decadence of gaudy excess and the idea that you know would just uh, if you can push your luck a little bit more like someday all of this stuff is going to just come to you. You're going to spin that roulette wheel and then this system of gangsters and corrupt police and politicians and weird systems beyond your control will somehow magically align and give you the future that you've always wanted. (laughs) Uh, I mean yeah
0: I totally get that and I also like I get from a from a movie standpoint, why you would want to try to focus on what is more the speculatory aspects of it where you're like, all right, let's get the Monty Python guy to do some great visuals. And we got Johnny Depp doing some character work. We got Benicio de Toro doing some like character improvisations. Like, let's just dive into that. Like who wants to see a guy monologue for 20 30 minutes so like i totally get that but i do love the idea of this exploration of um this one place being the representative of the lie that is the american dream like right now we are in a place where we're really starting to acknowledge that as a culture that like the american dream is in fact a lie and it only really services a certain demographic which is um rich white old dudes Mm -hmm. um it's true yeah and so, and that's, and that's, you get a lot of those characters in this, like going to the movie. In the movie, you get to see a lot of those characters too, but those are the the moments when you're seeing people at their worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine like in the book, you get a lot more introspection about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the movie, the saving grace there is the fact that, you know, there's voiceover in that movie. So you can have these moments where. Again, Hunter Thompson is giving the giant speech about how he could see the crest of the wave and how it rolled back. Um, But it all feels so empty compared Mm. to the book. You know, like in the movie, again, spoiler, he's giving this grand speech of how the 60s have died out and, you know, the wave that he thought was going to carry them into the future is now done. And it's told over this. Series of like B-roll footage with people (laughs) marching and flags waving and uh, people working in the civil rights movement and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it just does not stack up. It rings hollow. Right. You you can see why they focused on all the drugs and the craziness. Right. (laughs) Because it's like, what else are you gonna do? Right. There's a a moment,
2: one moment, and I think it's the one reference, the one explicit reference to Horatio Alger in the movie, and you talk about how significant he is it was to Thompson and also to the themes that he laid out in the book whereas in the movie all that gets boiled down to one almost context free line where he says in the in the voiceover he's like how would Horatio Alger's have handled this situation but that's that's it and again, it's all against this backdrop. I think it's when he wakes up with the Z on his forehead. It's all against this backdrop of of chaos and destruction. And here's uh the kind of the surface level version of what the consequence of all of this ends up being. But without, like you say, without taking the time to really delve into that. Although, to be fair, how do you go that deep without constant, either constant voiceover or long scenes of Uh, Johnny Depp doing his character stuff, sitting across a table from somebody, just laying it all out and whatnot, which now that I say it out loud, I would fucking totally (laughs) watch
1: I mean, you say that you would, but look, Fear and Loathing functions great as a movie. It's thoroughly entertaining, it's a great time, and it certainly, I think, gives a lot of people... I don't know if I would have known about Fear and Loathing if it weren't for that movie. Right, right. So it's hard to knock it too hard. uh, But ultimately, yeah, it's just one of those things where, and it's such an asshole thing to say, (laughs) but (laughs) the book was better. Thank you very much. I mean, it just sounds like you have
0: more time to really get to know the characters, Mm -hmm. whereas in, in the movie you're with them, but there's no point at which you like sympathize with them or even empathize with them because they're portrayed as these, like these drugged up crazy people. And it's hard to connect with crazy. And like, I think in the movie, the, the only time I really was able to kind of connect with, the Duke character was when he's just like, I'm just trying to sleep. Please stop doing what you're doing and let me sleep, just two hours. And I'm like, yes, we've all been there. We've all had a, a crazy friend who doesn't take their their drinks or their drugs really well, and you got to babysit them, but you're just trying to like, you know, sleep off your own stuff. Um, and I think that's the most hashtag relatable part. <laughs> um, of the movie, but I imagine like sitting there with this book and, and kind of understanding everything from Duke's perspective or Hunter's perspective, whomever you would like to believe is the perspective is from. Um, Cause guys, spoiler alert, Duke is Hunter. <laughs> um, who? So being able to really get this idea of who he is and how depraved he is, Feels like Vegas is and and you kind of get to dive into why he's doing the drugs which is to escape from the world that he lives in
1: yeah I mean look I'm an alcoholic like you know don't (laughs) I I, am fully aware of the idea of you're not supposed to assign like oh well I drank because of this reason or I did this because of it but in the book you definitely get the impression that like Oh, this isn't some guy who just loves doing drugs because he can and because it's fun. Like, the world is so horrible and Mm -hmm. so terrifying when you frame it through the lens of Hunter Thompson, right? That is kind of like, well, could could this weird acid trip that I'm on be possibly any worse than the reality of what the situation is? Yeah, uh, it does definitely seem like a coping mechanism. In that sense. And you get that impression in the book. Right. Less so in the movie.
2: But that worldview, that horrifyingly bleak worldview that you describe, obviously that factored into ultimately his decision to commit suicide. The timing of, I believe, wasn't it right after, I think, Bush got elected the second time? Yeah. He just decided, fuck this, and shot himself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which sucks, because, you know, a lot of people will say that, oh, well, Hunter Thompson, that's really, he's known for this one book. I mean, maybe you could argue Hell's Angels, but even if you read his subsequent follow-ups and, you know, short stories and Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail, 76, like, all of this stuff, that worldview still permeates everything that he does. Absolutely. And it's a really brutal examination of what it means to be an American and what America is. Um, So it's really tragic that he did take his life. I mean, granted, that's probably how he wanted to go, so more power to him. But for me, I definitely wish that that was a voice that was still in the world. Can
2: you imagine? like just writing about what the country's become now compared to all of the things that horrified him then
1: oh jesus yeah i mean oh god what would this is such an old man conversation to be having but can you imagine what hunter thompson would have to say about this trump fella my god
0: well i mean i mean he so recently i was watching an interview with uh, Kamala Harris and Trevor Noah and they were having basically the same conversation about Tupac where mm. like he was also very socially active and his uh, music reflected that and he was taken at such a young age that like you could imagine what both his influence over the time but also like can you imagine CEO Tupac where he's like yo gotta get them gotta get them G so we can support the community like, yeah. so, like that like the, it's the same conversation. It's that, like, these these people who I would say are almost too brilliant to exist in this world of dummies um, were taken far too early to really allow them... I mean, like, Hunter was able to grow to a pretty good age and, like, he was able to go out on his own terms. So, like, as you said, more power to him. But, like, just the idea of their voices being taken... And and inspiring mm-hmm. other people and like that absence being felt so heavily.
1: I reread the book specifically for this prepare, and I was blown away. I was like, oh, all of this is still horrifically relevant. Yep. <laughs> because, you know, we're coming off the guys, not to get too deep into politics here, but we're coming off the heels of Barack Obama as president. Like That idea, what Hunter describes of this sort of optimism, this idea that we were winning, that we were right, and we didn't need military force, we were going to take over the culture uh, without it, that (laughs) definitely... You know, I remember when Barack Obama was elected, and I had that feeling. I was yeah. like, fuck yeah, this, this country's turning around. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. We he can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and get some real liberal policies and help everybody in America. And, oh, man, it's going to be great. And now... Obviously, within the wake of the past four years, you see, oh my God, there is a brutal backlash. We got
2: far too close to things maybe being good and it frightened everybody. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And now we are in a reality that is arguably more horrifying than any sort of acid trip that you could ever conjure. I
0: mean, yes, there's a lot wrong right now i mean but like we we often talk on this podcast about progress being a wheel um and that like there's always a a a part of the wheel, wheel that is moving forward but there's always a part that's moving backwards and so like part of the progress that we received during the obama era um some people felt like they were rolled over by that wheel, and so now they're trying to pull it back. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that like there's only so much damage that can be done in this amount of time. I mean, and, and people are still fighting. like we've got rallies at all the d- concentration camps and stuff like that. So like, um, it's not as if that hope has died. It's just that like it's a, it's a harder fight right now.
1: Well, it's a fight that I think there's a lot of frustration, like the same kind of frustration that you could argue Thompson felt. Oh, yeah. Where it's just like, well, if this is reality, like, fuck it. Let's get weird. Let's just try (laughs) to ride this out. And see what this all means, right. right? And I feel like that's one of two tacks you
2: can take, right? And that's we talk about relatability. That worldview, whether I like it or not, is something I, unfortunately I tend to share. Um, yes, that, but also having to make a decision between giving into that or just riding the what, the crest of the high and beautiful wave and whatnot, buying the ticket, taking the ride. Uh, but there's a there's a moment uh, in the movie. There's a line that I think about. All the time, for for a number of different reasons. But he's creeping out of the motel room that they've destroyed. He's got they've got all these unpaid room service bills, and he leans out of the door. And his voiceover says, uh, "Panic! It crept up my spine like first rising vibes of an acid frenzy." And I feel like, in terms of relatability, like that's my mantra for fuck's sake. <laughs> like I think about the world and the way things are through, uh, unfortunately, a similar prism. And it's it's a constant state of that feeling. It is it is that all the fucking time. So I applaud this dude for pivoting in the other direction. That's why I feel like we should all be so lucky. We should all have our own
0: suitcase full of mescaline. (laughs) Can I have Tari, Let's split a suitcase of mescaline and go to the desert. I'm good. I'm gonna use. I'm just gonna stick to my coffee addiction. Um, That and cake. Those are my. Those those are my mescaline. (laughs) Yum yum yum. Uh, um, I guess we also, you, uh, Lex Michael, had mentioned that you've been super into this stuff since you were in, like, high school. Uh,
2: yeah, and I, I found the movie first. Because by that point, it had become, uh, you know, very big, big cult following behind the thing. And I was in a... Uh, Phase where I was like, okay, what are all of the big movies that like fucking college kids are really into right now? Mm -hmm. So I checked that out. And from there, I went, okay, this dude seems interesting. There's a bunch of, you know, like lines like the one I just threw out, movies full of stuff like that. And I like the way he used language. Jumped in, read Fear and Loathing, probably while I was supposed to be doing something else at school. And then from there, I read uh, What Hell's Angels. I I looked at a lot of the short stuff I got. After he died, they released, uh, I think it's called Kingdom of Fear, which is a collection of a whole bunch of other shorter pieces. So I read through that. And the dude was just so bonkers unique. Like, it was the subject matter that I found myself really gravitating towards, of course. But this dude approached it like we've been talking about, like nobody else. All right, talk about uniqueness. After he died, per his request... Uh, Johnny Depp and a bunch of other people Got together through a ton of money At essentially building a monument uh, In the shape of his own symbols Like the gonzo fist with two thumbs I think it is yeah. They build a monument to him In that shape Fill it with his ashes And then attempt to launch it into space Yeah. That was his request Like That's the type of dude this guy was And again like we we are lacking for Yes of course voices like his But also people that are that fucking weird Just unabashedly fucking strange I want to fill a suitcase of mescaline with my ashes and launch it into space, Tari. All right. I mean <laughs> Final I request. This we're... is a legally binding podcast, by <laughs> the way. It's true. Like, fire me out of a cannon, blow me up, something like that.
0: All right. I mean, I think the technology is there. We could get you up. I mean, do you need to stay in space? Because I can get a weather balloon and just, like, pff, straight up. I feel like we should try it. Okay, die. I'll, well, I'll, I'll give you a foot,
2: and we'll do a trial <laughs> run. I'll give you a foot. We'll burn my foot. And then we're going to give it a
0: shot. And if it comes down, I'm not giving you my other foot. You think Thompson would have done trial runs? Nah, you got a one one attempt. I'll be honest. I feel like 50-50
1: he <laughs> would have done trial runs.
0: <laughs> nah. He's just like, let it go. Do, do what you got to do, baby. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was his exact, uh, voice. We can all, that was the last line of the book. Spoiler alert is, let go, do what you gotta do, baby.
2: Yes. And you flip to, like, through a couple of blank pages, it just says dab. <laughs> like, one word right in the middle.
1: I, what's interesting for me, though, like, going back is, you know, so much was, uh, taken from this and sort of spun out, and, um, did morphed into its own sort of monster like i would feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about like this idea of thompson it is kind of toxic right (laughs) like i don't think necessarily thompson is someone that you want to put on a pedestal by any means um and I think that a lot of people who have are sort of missing the point. Yes, right. I, I do want to clarify in this
2: moment, when I say I, I share aspects of his worldview, it does not extend to burning things and harassing people.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's always like the really fine line to walk, is uh, Hunter Thompson, by all means an account, is a really terrible person yeah. <laughs> throughout this book. Um, And if, like, you had to deal with him, you know, if you were the poor valet who was dealing with this guy, it would be an absolute nightmare. Um, But, again, that's part of what made him appealing as a teenager, Mm -hmm. I feel like, was this guy was like, yeah, fuck it, fuck the rules, and uh, just push our luck as far as we can, and I'm going to ride out the system as far as I can. So... It's also, it's a weird thing for me to be uh, so in awe of this book and of this voice and yet to feel like a total coward and poser and uh, very much not that person (laughs) in my real life.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, we as people really love the charismatic asshole, especially like in this phase, we have a lot of them in our general media like Mm -hmm. i would say that people will say that we're quote unquote in the golden age of television Mm -hmm. um and if you go through the list of those shows a lot of them are basically charismatic assholes you got sopranos you got um uh breaking bad you have mad men mad men uh rick and morty people's uh worship of that character thing things of that sort um are very much in the zeitgeist and it, it's something that we as people are attracted to because it's the idea of this person that we wish we could be someone who could just do whatever they want whenever they want damn the consequences
2: right and uh, a lot of these folks like you say like like you run the risk of doing with thompson largely missing the point these are very much not people you want to emulate because they're they're monsters. They're charismatic and fun to watch, but the behavior they exhibit is truly, truly, truly monstrous.
0: Right. But it's also that like someone can be a pe- not a piece of garbage, but like someone can be an asshole and also have a brilliant mind, and that's always the struggle that we uh, have to face. There's there's this idea of like the brilliant jerk um someone who's like super great at their job um or great has this one specialty but you have to deal with them be, uh, even though they are such a pain in the butt um and it's it's a thing that like i think that uh, in in professional environments the the reality is that they lack the soft skills in order to be amongst other people um the soft skills being like how to manage, how to uh, work within the system in order to make change, things of that sort. Mm -hmm. Um, So ultimately, those things that we revere are actually a lack of um, skills that we undervalue.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you bring up Rick and Morty because I feel like there's definitely sort of that same... I don't know what the right word for it is, but man like the fan culture of rick and morty i think you could argue is one of the more toxic places in the pop culture realm right now yeah and certainly like if you uh look at what Hunter thompson represents and what people immediately think of is oh yeah a guy doing a whole bunch of drugs and like firing off guns in the desert like there's definitely a crossover there where mm-hmm. I'm internally conflicted. <laughs> that I love this book, I love this worldview, but also I would never do any of these <laughs> things. Right, and I think and a lot I, of I, I, maybe I'm a terrible like poser <laughs> for saying otherwise. And there's someone out there listening right now. It's like fuck this guy. He's saying that he likes Hunter Thompson, but he also wouldn't do a bunch of acid and threaten to stab a waitress. Like fuck him, you know. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> please don't take that person's point of view into regard like <laughs> that is the epitome of like toxic fandom and that's that's those are the people who don't understand nuance and don't understand that like these people aren't idols they're not someone you put on a pedestal they're someone who might represent an aspect of who we are but like even the the Rick and Morty thing it's like they represent our our um like our id and our super ego, like we are the in between,
2: right? And this this too is not uh, necessarily the case with every potential uh, charismatic asshole character, but especially in the cases of both Rick and Hunter Thompson, in particular. A, you don't want to be these guys because they're monsters. But B, you don't want to be these guys because in both cases they are dealing with nonstop agonizing existential crises, <laughs> and and this is the the. The book and the movie, I believe, both open with that quote, uh, he who makes a beast of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man. And so the only way they can cope with how horrifying and agonizing their every moment is, is to exhibit this
0: behavior. So why would you want that for yourself? Love yourself more. Shoot higher. Yeah, seriously. Also, if you're mad at Greg because he sees both sides of Hunter Thompson, hey, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Fight me. I'll kill you. (laughs) At at them, don't yeah, yeah, at yeah. me. Um, at me, Tari J. That's T U R I J A
1: Y. You're uh. taking a very Hunter Thompson approach to this, <laughs> saying like, <laughs> "Send the swine after me. <laughs> I'll gut gotcha you like fish." You know? uh, yeah. yeah. I don't. It it's real, and even you know, as a teenager, I, maybe I didn't fully see the cognitive disconnect there. <laughs> But I had this, I was a good boy, you know? I got straight A's and I, you know, did all my schoolwork and Mm -hmm. I didn't touch drugs and, you know, whatever. So it's really weird that I was so attracted to this. And maybe even now, like, I still have my doubts where this is something that I absolutely love and I think it's great. What if it's not? (laughs) What if... (laughs) I am a terrible person and Hunter Thompson is set a terrible example. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean,
0: I get that. I feel like that is catcher in the rye for me. Hmm. When I was in high school, I was like, Oh my gosh, Holden gets it. Everyone's a phony. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, man, everyone's a piece of shit. And it's like, and now as a grown up, I see that he was a guy who was struggling with a lot of things. And, uh, he was the phony.
1: Yeah, he That's... was the asshole in <laughs> right. all of this, right? Um,
0: and also that book caused some guy to kill John Lennon, was it? Or
1: Yeah, was yeah. It?
0: Yeah. Um, so I have that same struggle.
1: And Lord knows, I'm sure plenty of people read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas or more likely watched the movie, mm-hmm. and they were like, we're going to get twisted on drugs and go <laughs> big in Las Vegas, which is like... I feel really antithetical to the point (laughs) of the book because, you know, people, Las Vegas does present itself as that. It's like, hey, guys, they leaned into that entire image was the idea of like, hey, guys, what happens here stays here. Um, But man, Hunter Thompson really nailed it on the head where it's okay, there is a very specific set of rules to this town where they love a drunk, but the second you step out of line, like, your ass is going to jail for 20 years. Um, And it's still very much like that. Uh, Because when I went to Las Vegas for a couple of times, uh, I still very much had all of this fresh in my memory, you know, Hunter's account of it. And... Man, it is still like that, 110%. It's this illusion of having a good time, an illusion of cutting loose, but it is all very structured and all very leading you to part with your money, and you can have a good time as long as you are within this set of boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, I think, was what was so... Oh, God, that's what what made the book so satisfying is you're seeing someone break out of these <laughs> conventions. Uh, which I, I think we all want to do within our lives, right? We all have these conventions that we're forced into and these systems that we're supposed to work within. Yeah. And here was this guy who saying, I'm going to burn it all to the ground, and I'm just going to be so weird that they won't know what to do with me, and I'll be able to get away with it that way. It's, man, it is still a book that... Uh, It keeps me up at night, (laughs) you know, if I think about it too much because I have to examine my relationship to it
0: Right, you're talking about this this idea of like death of the author kind of thing. Like how do you separate your relationship with the book to your relationship with the the author like totally classic classic tale as old as time Beauty Mm -hmm. and the Beast Um, (laughs) Beauty being the message and the Beast being the author you see
1: it's an apt metaphor, I dug it. Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah.
0: I appreciate it. Lex is always so disapproving so that
2: <laughs> I have to second guess myself. It's only because you're here that I'm not telling him to fuck himself right now. It's true. <laughs> I'll, I'll
0: get notes after this and he'll be like, um, here are the times where you made me physically cringe, and here are the times that uh, I just wanted to punch your fucking face.
2: But <laughs> now people are going to think I'm abusive
0: to you, and I'm going to get the stop being mean Tatari tweets. Um, yeah, you're, you're my, you're, you're my Dr. Gonzo. <laughs> go to, go to sleep. Let me sleep. Lex. I also, oh, i also sidebar because you mentioned Dr. Gonzo again. I really
2: like, uh, Benicio Del Toro did an interview where he was asked, because he put on weight for this movie. Uh, he was asked, you know, what did you do to get yourself in that kind of physical shape? And he goes, donuts. <laughs> As it is that simple. He's just like a couple of donuts every
0: meal. I uh, heard that he did 16 donuts a day. Something
1: like that. Yeah. yeah. Which, and it shows in that movie. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Uh, he is real gross and bloated. Well, well it too, like, I
2: want to know what's in Benicio Del Toro's blood and how I can get some, because that would kill me. That mm. would absolutely end my I think 16 donuts just for one day, let alone several in a row, would be enough to end my life.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe he has severe di- uh, diabetes right now, and he, we just don't know it. He's like, yeah, if your loathing gave me diabetes, <laughs> worth it. Did you see me in Sin City? Ah, yeah. I was also in Sicario. Really made my career.
2: (laughs) I like the idea of Benicio Del Toro walking around just listing off his movies (laughs) to (laughs) anyone he could talk to.
0: I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see that MCU movie I was in? Oh, damn. And then they're like, sir, it's three fifty. Please give me the money. And you're like, oh, but like, maybe this money is coming from that check I got from that other movie I did.
2: I'm still getting residuals from license to kill. <laughs> I'll sign you one of my checks. It's for exactly $3.38. <laughs> uh, no,
0: no. Um... But, like, I guess the big question being how do we as people uh, get to a place where we don't have to, you know, drug our way out of uh, our existential dread? Like, how do we keep that hope to stay in this world and make it better, you know?
1: I don't have an answer for you. Uh, and I don't think hundred Thompson had a good answer for you either. I don't think so either. I mean, he left, he was like,
0: Nope, this world bad. I go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But like, so I mean, how do we, how do you guys as individuals, uh, find the strength to just keep existing in a world that on, on, on from day to day feels like the worst and the best.
1: Oh man. Um it's tough for me because also my uh, political worldview isn't the same as it was when i was 13. you yeah. know uh you tend to think that there's this very black and white line of uh you know right versus wrong and that sort of thing but mm-hmm. as you get older things get more confusing and complicated <laughs> um so even to say now, that like, yeah, we're fighting the political powers that be. It's like, well, what political right. powers? What systems? Are you sure the ones that you want to replace it with are better than what's there now? Like, I, this book, like I said, just opens up a whole world of existential dread for me. Yeah. Um, beyond my what was my initial reading of it when I was a young teen.
0: Yeah, but it's and it's but it's nice that you can kind of look back and see how much your view has changed. Like I feel like if I read it, again going back to Catcher in the Rye, if I were to go back and read Catcher in the Rye, like I feel like I'd be like, "Man, those teachers, they're such such good people." Um, <laughs> like my my moment realizing that I am a big functioning adult I was watching uh Dear Evan Hansen, and it's all about these teens. And I'm like, man, those parents must be going through it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I think as you get older, you start to build up more sympathy. Like when I was originally reading the book, um, just before I came over here, I reread a passage about how his lawyer, Hunter Thompson's lawyer, uh, they're stopping off at this diner in. Uh, North Las Vegas, which he refers to as the place where, you know, everybody essentially goes to die like when (laughs) you when you fucked up one too many times on the strip like you are cast into the outlands of North Las Vegas. I have no idea if it's still like that. But uh, there's a section where his lawyer just out of nothing. Uh, propositions a waitress uh, for anal sex and then threatens her with a knife and that you know was pretty messed up even as a teen like I was like this is wrong (laughs) thankfully I had you know that sort of foresight and again it's not Hunter Thompson doing this so I guess you have that degree of separation it's his lawyer but (laughs) You know, you start to think of like, man, I worked at Panera Bread once. If someone (laughs) handed me a napkin propositioning me for anal sex (laughs) and then threatened me with a knife, I would think, boy, howdy, there goes a rude customer. (laughs) Like, it's not something, it becomes harder and harder to idealize these people as you get older, because yeah. you start to see the faults in their "fuck everything, burn everything" logic,
0: right? Because it always leaves people behind. Like you have to realize that, like no matter what they do, no matter what they do, there is always a group of people who either have to clean up behind them or have to deal with the messes that they've made, whether it's socially or physically in terms of the hotel rooms or uh, emotionally in terms of being threatened or, like, we don't even get into the, the Lucy character um, mm-hmm. who was, I for lack of a better word, kidnapped uh, by the lawyer, Dr. Gonzo, right. and then essentially ditched in the midst of a trip. Um, so you have to wonder, like, when she came out of it, like, what she was thinking or, like, what she thought happened or how she was able to discern reality from fiction um just and and it's those kind of things that you never really think about Mm -hmm. and it's those type of pieces that you have to start realizing that like everything you do uh for better or for worse affects other people unless you live in a cave alone (laughs) then everything you do only affects you and you'll die alone um, but you notice that too. I mean, I, I feel like I'm noticing in ways big and
2: small, even in very slight ways, people are chucking out the social contract in greater and greater numbers, right? Not really having situational awareness of how their behavior is affecting other people. And I feel like that, like we were talking a few minutes ago about how do you day to day looking at the world and seeing how things maybe aren't super great right now, how do you cope with that or what difference can you make on a personal basis and like what okay so what can I do today obviously go vote when the time comes but every day I can try to be as aware as possible of who is around me and how my behavior if if my behavior is uh, negative or problematic in some way, it could affect others around me. And that's something that I, I can do, right? Like that's a standard I could try to hold myself to and hopefully, right? Like, you, know, you hope you can inspire other people to maybe do the same, think a little bit about the person next to you, the person next to them, because things being this messy, you don't fix a mess like this by going, ah, oh, fuck it. You know, like that's the folly in making a beast of yourself to get rid of the pain of being a man. If you're so horrified with the state of the world, while you're over here in the desert having an intense mescaline trip, you're not actually doing anything to fix the problem. Just yelling about the problem and waving your arms and making bat sounds is not in and of itself a viable solution. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Gosh. But that's I guess part of what makes the book satisfying is that it doesn't try to offer an answer. Uh it really is just An examination of what it means to be in this state and how you cope with it and how you perceive the world around you. Um, It certainly influenced me in terms of like, listen, after I read this book, I I was already pretty far left politically, but, you know, I got into punk music. Yeah, fuck the system. Anarchy burn it all down. But, oh, God, it the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, This book still serves as an anchor point because now, like, it's the exact same thing with punk music. It's like, oh, well, uh, anarchy is not a viable system. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Uh, what happens when we burn it all down? What does that mean? Where do you go from there? Who takes that person's place? And a million angry punk kids are shitting themselves out of pure rage listening to this yeah, right you, now. You've pissed
2: off the punk scene and the Rick and Morty fandom.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and all the drug users out there, too. It's like, what do you mean this isn't a solution? <laughs> I'm going to keep doing acid until things get better. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, gosh, I. there is something that is very satisfying about not having an answer and not trying to necessarily figure out how to fix it, but just how to cope with it and how to understand it
2: right and that's the flip side certainly for me and it sounds like for you as well about uh the potential of hunter thompson as a role model obviously his behavior certainly not to be emulated but i know for me he was he was one of the first guys who when i found the book really got me thinking about this stuff and i find that at least as far as that's concerned it was sort of invaluable to me and that's part of why i would recommend it i do feel like it got to me at the right time like would it speak to me with such resonance if I found it now having never read a word of it
1: oh boy yeah. right
2: once once everything ha- had solidified a little bit more in terms of what my worldview is but it got exact exactly the right time right like you say like when you're in high school and your brain is wide open and hungry for that exact thing thing
1: just angry just anger splayed out in no particular direction just mad at everybody
2: but at the very least what i do feel like it did for me was help foster a way of thinking in my mind that that essentially boils down to not a lot of stuff that you take for granted may not actually be great. Maybe, uh, whether it's America or any particular system, maybe it needs to be questioned, poked at, and maybe occasionally you have to take some really hard swings, not at people. Cause that shit's rude, but at, <laughs> at what, what is considered, uh, the status quo, what is considered normal. And like we see today more and more and more horrible things are becoming more and more normalized. I think you need, uh, you need, at the very least, you need the level of conviction that this dude had, right? You do need the level of uh, awareness. Uh, don't drown that awareness in drugs, but I I do feel like that was uh, at least significant for me. And I appreciate it for that reason.
0: Yeah. Uh, we are running short on time. Any last thoughts about the book? Any last thoughts about the movie? Any last thoughts about Hunter as a person?
1: I, I just think it's remarkable that hunter gambled exactly two dollars while he was in las vegas according to this book uh and i feel like that is significant in some way that i still haven't quite fully grasped (laughs) um yeah there's something very satisfying about knowing that this guy went to this city that is built as a mecca for gambling like this is all that you do and he just did this savage burn of the whole city and lost exactly $2 <laughs> on a roulette wheel. That's really all I have for it. it. God, this really made me think more about this book than I have in a long time. And I've left... Feeling more conflicted than when I started, so fuck you guys. You're welcome. (laughs) This uh, is going to keep me up at night now for the next several weeks. Thank you. Good, good. Yep, you've plunged me further into an existential crisis. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, For
2: for me, the moment where uh, Hunter's like, "I need to go cover the race," and somebody's like, "Uh, "The race is over," and he has this moment of, "Who won? Did anybody?" That's (laughs) That's Does perpetual. <laughs> that's perpetual current mood for me, essentially. Um, no, like yes. There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about with this book, as as you've heard and as we just discussed. Lot of lot of contradictory feelings I feel uh, on all of our parts, but I do think it's worth checking out because it is such an influential piece of writing, both in the culture at large and also certainly. It sounds like uh, at least on both of our Greg, both of our young minds. Um, just one of the most unique voices there ever was in journalism. And I think it's, it's incredibly unlikely all bordering on impossible that we are ever going to get another one like that again.
0: Yeah. Um, And this being my first time seeing the movie, it made me really want to dive into more of Hunter's life and, and his writings and, and kind of explore the world through his eyes. Uh, I mean, the movie itself is it's a a visual uh feast in terms of like all the psychedelics and things of that sort big lizard people Um, (laughs) yes it's it's bonkers i'm i'm i would be interested originally they wanted to do it as an animated feature uh and then they were like poo poo on animation and Mm. ended up live action which is Um, uh, by the way like something you get in the book that you don't get uh, depending on the edition of the book
2: that you don't get in the movie is all of that super crazy, uh, Ralph Steadman. Yeah, Ralph art. Steadman. Art, right. And now that you mentioned, like they could have done that as an animated movie. I, I this. I need this. Yes. You know what I mean, like they made two, and I feel like that was 1998. You know, we're we're far enough removed from that that I feel like we're we're due for a fear and loathing reboot. Yeah, it's twenty years Dude, ago. Dude, it'll be their Spider Verse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I mean, yes, that's what I was saying. Is like I would love. To get that rendition of it, but exploring a little bit more of the subtext of it. I think with the animation, you can do a little bit more of the voiceover and internal thoughts that you would get with the book and and kind of like the specific perspective that uh, Hunter S. Thompson brings to it. So like if they ever consider doing this again, I know you're listening, Hollywood producers, um, please consider this because it would be amazing. Um so I highly recommend checking it out. It's on Netflix if you want to watch it. Um the book is on all major platforms. You can get it on Amazon. You can go to Barnes and Noble which still exists or doesn't. No. Does, does, what's the one that still exists? Barnes and Noble still exists. Okay, for that for one. another minute at least. Yes. Um I was thinking of Borders. Borders is dead. Um, so you can get it at Barnes and Noble. Um, just Google it, you'll find it.
1: Guys, steal a copy. Hell That's what yeah. Hunter Thompson would do totally. And I get busted for petty theft and have it go on your permanent <laughs> record. And now you're a felon and can't get a job anywhere. This is the kind of conflicted feeling that I'm talking about, right?
0: Well, because the world has consequences, like if, if. I mean, if we, if you wanted to, we could do a whole another podcast about Hunter S. Thompson doing the things he did as a man of color and how the book would have been two pages because he would just be in jail now. Oh yeah. Um, so all of his things would have just been letters from prison, being like, "It's hard in here," because <laughs> um, it is. <laughs> um, but that's another podcast we can have. Like the world, in, in as a, as in large, has consequences, and sometimes some sometimes. Uh, You have to come to terms with that. And the fact that, like, you can't always do what you want, or you can't always do the thing that you think is cool, because ultimately it may end up being the worst thing for you.
1: What a fucking bummer podcast <laughs> that we told people, like, we're gonna be talking about fear and loathing in Las Vegas, and by the end of it, all three of us are sitting around a table like, you know, con- uh, actions have consequences, you guys. <laughs> yeah, we're fucking grown-ups, bro. <laughs> Hunter Thompson really should have paid his taxes. It's like <laughs> uh yeah god what a nightmare
0: (laughs) Uh, try to try to be courteous everybody (laughs) that's what I got um all right. Well, Greg, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Yeah, guys. this
0: has been a very, very, this has been a pleasure. That's
1: how <laughs> the, that phrase works.
0: Um, where can people find you? Uh,
1: you can find me on the tweets at Greg Goodness. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, I'm also the co host of a podcast called Ships in the Night, where we take fictional characters and make them bump uglies and talk about what it would be like when they hooked up.
0: Hell yeah. Um, Lex, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at TheLexMichael. And you can find me at TariJ, T O R I J A Y, But most importantly, you can find this podcast at Missing MissingOutcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Thank you for joining us this week. Thanks again, Greg. Thank you. Uh, come back anytime. Uh, and until we talk to you, which will probably be next week... This has been the retrospective that's introspective.
2: And now you have a new perspective that we're very sorry for. (laughs) (laughs) Be an adult.